Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are continuing on our Lenten sermon series. For those of you that may not have been here in the last couple of weeks, and the series is entitled Jesus in the Upper Room. And we're walking through John chapters 13 through 17 in the process, one chapter a week, which, by the way, is a real stretch for me. And we're trying to understand at least parts of those so we have this picture of what Jesus is unfolding with his apostles in the upper room. John 13, we focused on Jesus washing the apostles' feet. Him being Lord and teacher, and yet acting as a servant. Acting out of love, acting out of humility. And then last week we talked about Jesus and loving Him means following His commandments. And what that means for our lives. And it means that we abide with Him. And this whole notion of abiding, that he makes his home with us. And as we come into John chapter 15, this theme, if you will, of abiding, of living with, of God making his home with us, the spirit dwelling in us, continues. In fact, he spends a lot of time, chapters 14 through 16, talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the most elaborate teaching. So we're in the midst of that right now. We're in John chapter 15. And one of the verses that we didn't read last week in the process comes in 1423, where Jesus says, We will make our home with you. He's talking about himself and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Together, the Trinity. We will make our home with you. And think about home for you. Isn't home a place that usually represents safety and security and comfort, where you can be yourself, where you can let down, right? That's how we typically think of home. Sometimes, especially when we're away, where we've gone through some challenges, we love to come home. In the last, I'd say, two or three weeks, we've had a lot of rain. Have you noticed that? And one of our skylights has developed just, you know, one of those dripping leaks. The skylight happens to be in between our bed and the bathroom. And so we've got a pan sitting there to catch the water, right? Everybody knows what I mean by that. Well, in the middle of the night when I get up and I need to go, it's really problematic because I don't want to step in this pan. I don't want to knock it over. And normally in the middle of the night when I'm doing that walk, I don't have to think about it. You know, I'm half dazed and I just walk and then I come back and I go right to sleep again. I don't have to think. I'm not as secure as I used to be. So last week, I got up on the roof and, you know, I used this caulking and I thought, great, I got it done. And then it rained this week again, you know. It didn't work. I was very disappointed. 
So I got up again this week on the roof again, and I got, I'm not kidding you, I got this spray stuff, and I just covered it. And then I got the caulking that I had before, and I only used part of it. I cut the can open and scooped it out. It's covered this corner. Because when it rains again, I want to feel secure. I want to feel comfortable. Isn't that what home is meant to be for us? That place. What's fascinating is when you think about God making his home with us. Who causes the leaks when we have the leaks? We do. We cause the leaks. That's why the leaks come into our life. Because what he offers us is that love and that security and that completion that we long for. And we're the ones that allow those leaks, if you will, to come in. You know, he's the one that wants to define, if you will, the safety of our home, the boundaries the safety of the roof and the walls. And if you think about it, your yard, because you think of that as your home. And there's boundaries to your home. It gives you the parameters, the definition. He doesn't give us the rules to oppress us. That's when we misunderstand what the purpose and point of the law is the commandments as he talks about. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you're going to have this abiding in the home with him. You're going to have this completion with him. You're going to have that safety and security that you long for with him. A very similar image to this. That as Jesus is speaking to his apostles comes to mind as he defines it. Right in between... John 14, and the passage that we have today comes this I am the vine, you are the branches image. And once again, this whole idea of an alive connection. He's the vine, we're the branches, we're connected to him, and his life, his spirit is meant to flow through us. And what it would call to mind for the apostles is this image of the vineyard that Jesus used several times in parables that was used in the Old Testament that Israel was referred to as God's people. And in particular, Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, where there's this definition of the vineyard, and you hear reference to a hedge, and you hear reference to a wall, and that God's desire was to do the planting, do the cultivating, and then produce good fruit. And what happened? It wasn't good fruit. Because it was the people who chose to not live within the commandments. That which reveals loving God and loving other people. This is not about legalism. It's not about moralism. It's not even about being good. It's about understanding what it means to live in this love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And learning what it means to love and serve each other. That's what he's about. That's what he's trying to talk to his apostles about in this upper room, in these final hours before he goes to the cross. Now with that in mind, as we turn to the passage, I want to focus on what the aim is with all of this. 
as we love one another, as we love Him, as we live in His love, as we feel this sense of safety and security, what happens? What does Jesus talk about? He talks about that we're going to know His joy. Now, I don't know about you. I love joy. And I really do. I love living in His joy. And you know what joy really gives us? Joy gives us a glimpse of heaven. It gives us a glimpse of heaven. C.S. Lewis says, the real business of heaven is joy. The serious business of heaven is joy. That we begin to understand His joy because there's total unity, communion, the presence of God constantly. And so when we live in that joy, we experience a glimpse of heaven where there's eternal security, constant love, and His presence without interruption. You know, but I've said this before, we live, we live for the counterfeit in this world. We live for happiness. You know what everybody said? I just want to be happy. And happiness is so superficial. It is so much about immediate gratification. What I want right now, my rights, my feelings. Feelings become ultimate. Because I want to feel good. I want to be happy. And God's more about joy, not just joy that's fleeting, joy that's deep. We have a depth that's eternal. It's everlasting. That's His goal for our lives. And we begin to get a glimpse of that here by living with Him, living in Him, living for Him. That joy. That's His goal. That's what He wants for us because He loves us. See, we sometimes miss it because we're going after the counterfeit. You know, there's three adjectives that Jesus talks about with joy. Three adjectives. Adjective number one, my joy. He says, so that my joy might be in you. His joy. What is his joy? If you study his life throughout the Gospels, what you will see his joy to be is to have that communion with the Father where he says over and over again, I only do what I see my Father do. I only speak what I hear my Father say. That I live for His glory. His joy is found in that communion with the Father and living according to His will. And he says to us, the apostles as well, that my joy might be in you. So this dwelling in us, see how it's all connected, this dwelling in us, by the power of His Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, His joy might be in us that your joy, that we would come to that understanding of what it means to love Him and live in relationship with Him and live in His presence constantly and begin to follow His commandments because they flow out of that relationship with Him. So that your joy may be, here's the third adjective, complete joy complete that's what he wants for you complete joy, completion not the leaks not the superficial that empties out so quickly not the temporal but the eternal 
that flows into us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that as we begin to understand this love, what it means to really love Him, what it really means to love each other, and then we begin to experience this blossoming of joy in our lives. So much better than happiness. So much more lasting than happiness. You know, joy really is that contentment. It's contentment. It's that fruit of the Spirit that comes with love and comes with peace and joys in the middle. It's that contentment because we know. We know His love, we know the love of others. That's the joy He wants for us. And in the context, He says it. My joy, your joy, complete joy. He talks about that we become His friends. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Now let's understand the context of that. See, as we begin to live in this love relationship, living in His commandments, living in His safety, experiencing His joy, that we are welcomed as friends of His. How does He, how does he say that? He says, because a slave doesn't know what the master is doing, but a friend does. See, before this, he was inviting them to follow him. And they didn't know exactly what he was about. They had no clear understanding of who he was and where he was going and what he was doing. And then as he begins to unfold the truths about who he is and where he's going, that he's going to the cross that this is how you live your life, these intimate moments in the upper room as he unpacks all this. That he's telling them the reality of what it means to follow him and what the future holds. What's going on is they're getting the picture. You know, with a servant, when a master tells a servant something, a servant doesn't need to know and really doesn't have the right to ask, why am I doing this? And Jesus is telling the why. I mean, really, in many ways, servants are kind of like young children. Young children are not always going to understand the why. You know what I mean by that? When you tell young children to do something, they may have no clue as to why. And sometimes you have to just say to them, I love you. You need to trust me. This is what you need to do. But you know, children love to ask that question, why, right? You need to go to bed now. Why? Well, because you need a good night's sleep. Why? Because you have a long day tomorrow. Why? And it goes on and on. And no matter what, they're not going to understand what the point is as to what you're telling them. And that's the servant. The servant may or may not understand. They don't need to know. And Jesus is saying, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I call you friends. See, and what happens then is the servant mentality, the servanthood, the willingness to do for others becomes voluntary. Jesus says, you call me Lord and teacher, and you're right, but I'm the one who comes alongside you to serve you, to wash your feet, 
to lay down my life. That in Philippians chapter 2, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. See, it's our choice. That once we understand that he welcomes us as friends, once we understand that he wants us to know what the Christian life is about, why he came, he died on the cross in our place for our sin, laid down his life. So we respond by laying down our lives, willing to wash feet, willing to serve. Not because we're constrained, but because we want to. Out of love. That's what he's saying. That's what he's demonstrating. That's what he wants people to understand. He doesn't want us to be in the mindset that we're always being told. He doesn't want us to be in the mindset of even being that young child. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. No longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But grow up into Him who is the head, Christ Jesus, to maturity. That's what He wants. That's what His desire is for us. He wants us to be His friends. He wants us to know. That's the invitation to the apostles and to us. You know, do you know the phrase, with friends like that, who needs enemies? Right? With friends like that, who needs enemies? Well, in many ways, the Scriptures talk about that too. Let me read to you first from Philippians chapter 3. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. Understand what he's saying. When we get fixed on earthly things, when we're living for immediate gratification, for worldly happiness instead of for Him, when we're following, if you will, the commandments of the culture and the world, and not following His commandments, we're no longer living by love. We're not seeking to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We oftentimes end up treating others as objects, not people, to be loved, to be served. And we end up living as enemies of the cross. Why? Because we're ignoring God's love in our lives and our response to that love. We're living as poor witnesses into the world to His cross. That's why. So we live as if enemies with friends like that who needs enemies. Let me read to you from James chapter 4. Same idea. Do you not know that friendship with the world... There's that term friendship again. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. But Jesus is saying, I want you to be my friends. And what was he saying about that? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's what builds the friendship. That's what he's saying. It goes hand in glove. And don't misunderstand, it's not that we're trying to earn our way to heaven. It's that when He welcomes us into this relationship, and we become His friends, we want to live for Him. We 
we want to seek to love others the way He loves. See, this is what bearing fruit is about. You know, going back to that vineyard image, God wants us to bear good fruit. That's the point. He wants us to experience good fruit. Again, the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy, and it goes on. That's His whole point and purpose, that we want to, if we love Him, we want to bear that fruit. We want to serve Him and serve others. You know, last week we talked about praying in Jesus' name. That even as we pray, even as we begin to think about, Lord, help me to become more like you. Help me to live more according to your love. What we have in mind when we pray in Jesus' name is we have His life, His humility, His servanthood, His cross and resurrection. He's sending the Holy Spirit for us. That's why we pray in the name of of Jesus, because we recognize who He is and what He's done for us. And that's what we choose to live into. That's how we produce the fruit. It's that love relationship with Him and that seeking to love each other. You know, I alluded to this last week. I'm going to give it a little more elaborate this week. You know, it's helpful to remember that when Israel was in bondage in Egypt. God called them out of Egypt first. He delivered them miraculously. And it was after that that he began to see him, his nurturing of them. He would provide food. He would provide water. He would provide meat. But it was after the deliverance, after seeing him care for them, then they went to Mount Sinai. Then what they experienced was the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments being what loving God looks like, what loving each other looks like. That's basically the bottom line of the Ten Commandments. He's saying, now I'm going to tell you. Now that you've responded to my call, now that you said you want to be my people, here's what that love looks like. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus says, I've called you. I've called you out of sin. I've called you out of the world and the bondage. I've called you into a relationship with me. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. And I want you to see what this relationship will produce in your life. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Same idea. Same idea. That's his goal with our lives. That's what he wants us to understand. This isn't about the law. And then the fruit we bear with our lives because of his operation in our lives. We've already talked about the fruit of the Spirit, that we will experience this love and this joy and this peace. And the rest of the way through the fruit of the Spirit. We will experience the fruit of obedience and righteousness, not because we're constrained by the law, but because we're filled with the Spirit. And we want to love him and love other people. We will experience the fruit of other believers because we will want to talk about His love to other people. Our love will overflow unto them. They'll want to know about why we're different. The fruit of generous giving with our lives. All that we are and all that we have. That's the fruit that begins to show itself as we begin to blossom in Him. You know, years ago, 
Years ago, I read something that was really, really helpful in my life. And it was called The Four C's of Parenting. And I read it right around the time I really needed it, when my kids were teenagers. Okay? And let me tell you what those four C's are. And I'll give you a picture of them. The four C's are commander, coach, consultant, and counselor. Commander, coach, consultant, counselor. Now let me describe those a little bit to you. Commander. You know, much like we were talking about with the master and the servant, hey, this is the rule, this is my way, you just do it, right? This is what you experience in early childhood. You know, you are the commander, they are there to obey you. You know, they may not understand the whys until they get much older. They might not understand what your goal and purpose is. And so you just tell them how it is, right, when they're young children. Now as they become middle school, high school, now you become the coach. Basically what you're doing is you're beginning to teach them what it means to live in the world. And you're sending them out. They're starting to hang out more with their friends. They're beginning to drive, you know, that kind of era. And you're coaching them. You're telling them how to do life, right? And that's the change I had to make when my kids were teenagers because I was trying to be the commander all the time. It didn't work, okay? So I started understanding coaching. The good news about coaching is you can take them out of the game, okay? That's the good news about coaching. Then after that, when they go off to college, then you become the consultant. Okay, the consultant is the one that sometimes goes there, and sometimes the client comes to the consultant. But ultimately, the client is responsible for their poor decisions, such as in college, right? Because they will begin to pay a price, and it will show itself later. They bear the brunt at that stage. And then you become the counselor. Where you have to be invited in. They have to, if you will, make an appointment. You don't have the right to be the commander anymore. To tell them how they should do marriage or raise children. You can suggest. You can ask them if they would like your opinion. You know, you have to recognize those stages. If we've truly raised children to be responsible, godly adults, they have to begin to mature and go through that same stage that Jesus did with his apostles. Isn't that right? Early on in their relationship, he was the commander. And then he began to coach them as they did ministry and went out. Then he became the consultant after the cross and the resurrection. And then he ascended and sent the Holy Spirit, the counselor. And we have to be asking the Holy Spirit, the counselor, to come into our lives every day. To know the power, to know the presence, to understand what it is he wants to do with us and in us and through us. That's why Jesus says, I will send 
the counselor. You know, my children right now, I am thrilled. They are all walking with the Lord. They're all doing okay. Interestingly enough, I didn't begin to discover this in my own life till I was 22. My dad was the commander till I moved out and married Meredith. I needed a commander. Is that what I heard? Yeah. I did see a little coaching with my dad. Consultant thing didn't quite work. But the reality is, that's what he wants to do for us. Why? You need to understand it's because he loves you. He loves you. You have to live in this world. You will be responsible for what happens because of your decisions. But he loves you. And his goal for your life is to know his joy. He loves you because He just doesn't want you to be a slave who feels oppressed by legalism. But rather a friend who chooses to serve. You know, when I go home now, when I went home the last few years, I would say to my parents, what do you need done? I wouldn't wait for my dad to command me when he was still alive. I would say, what do you need to have me do? My mom, this past year, I said, what do you need done since my dad's not around anymore? And she gave me a list, and within two days, all the list was done, and she said, it would have taken me a month to get all this done. Isn't that great? I didn't have to wait to be commanded. I just chose to serve. Out of love. Isn't that what God wants for us? That because we understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we understand our own sinfulness, we understand that it's His love that welcomes us into friendship and gives us the boundaries of the vineyard so that we can bear fruit and experience His joy for the rest of our lives and for all eternity because He loves us. If you love me, you will keep my commandments so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, we are confronted and assaulted daily by the invitation of happiness in the world. To not live by your commandments, but to choose to love the world over you. Lord, I pray this day that our eyes would be fixed on you. That we would choose not to live as enemies of the cross. That we would not choose to compromise with the world. that we would choose to live in that love relationship with you. That we might bear your fruit. That we might experience your joy. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit right now. 
that you would transform our hearts and lives. And that we would not only know your Lordship, we would know your friendship as we seek to live for you from this day forward. And we pray this in Jesus' name.